The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about collaboration. And the more we collaborate and listen to each other and work with each other and have interest in each other and understand each other, the less conflict or the less escalated conflict that we're going to have. And I have this wonderful book in front of me that I just was reading, and it's called Conversations That Get Results and Inspire Collaboration. And the subtitle is Engage Your Team, Your Peers, and Your Manager to Take Actions. And this is a great book by Sean Kent Hayashi, who's joining us all the way from the east side of the country. And um, she's also, by the way, author of Con conversations for change and so let me tell you a little bit about her uh sean kent hayashi is an executive coach and the founder of the professional development group llc and she is the author of conversations for creating star performers and conversations for change She's a global expert in developing star performers and high-performance teams, and she facilitates growth in leadership ability, emotional intelligence, communication skills, stronger relationships in teams, and effective presentations, and obviously, conflict resolution. She's guided leaders um, in achieving very positive, lasting results and for themselves and for their teams. Building collaboration that enhances productive relationship and facilitates the achievement of business goals is really the subject of this great book that I have right in front of me, Conversations That Get Results and Inspire Collaboration. And that book was just released in April 2013. And you can learn more about her and her books at yourtalentatwork.com. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here with you today, Mari. Thank you for having me. Yeah, how did you get into all this collaboration and communication skills? What was that all about? How did you get there? Well, you know, I'm often asked the question, how did you come up with these 12 different types of conversations? And it actually links so closely what uh, you and I do. I had a coaching client who I had been hired to help to learn how to create conversations for conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. What he was doing in his organization was pretty much putting blinders on any time there was a conflict. And as you can imagine, the result was that his staff, team, peers, were beginning to lose respect 
for him. Right. The uh, impact, he wasn't making decisions, things weren't moving forward. In meetings, if somebody brought up something that had shades of conflict associated with it, he would say things like, well, this isn't the right place for us to discuss that, let's discuss it offline, but then he'd never follow up. So the result was his organization hired me and asked me to coach him so that he could get more effective in dealing with conversations where conflict was wafting through the room. And in doing so, I taught him some very specific kinds of things that he needed to do. And we worked together over several months to help him identify conflict, talk it out, work it through, master it. And at the end of that coaching process with him, he said to me, Sean, you, you helped me so much with this particular type of conversation, but it makes me think that there are probably other types of conversations that I need to know how to have in order to be effective. Would you please give me a menu? And that's when I created the overview of the 12 different types of conversations that we all need to know how to have in order to be effective. So why don't we talk about what are those 12 types of conversations that we all, whether it's personal or professional, right? It's the same thing, whether we're in teams or whether we're at work. What are those 12 conversations that we have to have? So the first one is a conversation for connection. And it's in this conversation type that we begin to identify the other person's preferred communication style, their motivators, who they are, what inspires them, what engages them. And in this type of conversation, we're often asking questions to learn about the person's uh, background experience. Uh, I might ask a question like, tell me about what you're looking forward to. What excites you? What's the, what are projects that you've enjoyed working on? So that's in the workplace. But in a, in a more personal relationship, it might be uh, something along the lines of, what are you most passionate about? What gets you really jazzed up? Right, right. And uh, we make the mistake sometimes in relationships where we've known someone for quite a while and we forget to revisit conversations for connection. And that might sound something like, although we've known each other for a long time, I suspect you've grown in some new ways recently. I suspect there are some things that are influencing you that I might not know about. You open to sharing some of that? Yeah. And, you know, and people forget that we evolve. If you think about yourself when you were a teenager, you're not the same person, right? Exactly. Or when you were in college. And so we, we continually evolve. Some of us change careers. Some of us just get into something else because of an illness or some accident or some life change. So you're absolutely right. And when you connect at one level um, from years ago, you can reconnect at a very different level. Exactly. So that, that conversation for connection is one we often need it at the beginning of meetings. We often need it uh, when we are at, a say, a conference or a, an event of some sort where we want to engage in some new ways with new types of people, perhaps. Right. But it's, that it's good networking. <laughs> exactly. That naturally leads into a conversation for creating new possibilities. Right. And a conversation for new possibilities is really great when we want to brainstorm, when we want to um, explore ideas, when we want people to put their new thinking on the table. And uh, it engages people uh, in 
creating the future, in innovating. It, it enables us to say, hmm, you know, you have some puzzle pieces, I have some different puzzle pieces, let's put them out and see what we might be able to build together. Right. That's true collaboration. It, it's the starting, certainly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, the next type of conversation is a conversation for structure. Mm-hmm. And this is where we begin to frame out how we might do something. So we look at the steps. We look at the process. We agree to perhaps a timeline and a project plan. Um, this is really important when we are ensuring that others understand the sequence of actions or the events that they'll be involved in. And it's also useful to create a process map that outlines the specific steps. Right. So everybody has um, realistic expectations and people can rely on each other. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what the other person is going to do. Well, and that the conversation for... Um, Structure is the framework, which leads into the next conversation type, which is a conversation for commitment. Oh, right. And now here's where we put people's names next to things. So I might say, okay, I'd be willing to take this part of the project. And you might say, ah, this one over here is really good for me. Right. And so we agree to what the commitment entails, and that then gives us the ability to follow up with each other later on to say, how how are you coming on that? Right. We know that we, in fact, agreed to certain things. Right. Um, And then the next type of conversation is a conversation for action. And this is one where we may have gotten bogged down in something. We may be unclear about what needs to happen next. And so we might distinguish that I want to have a conversation for action. I want to look at what are the next steps, what are the next uh, items that we need to be doing. David Allen uh, wrote a book called Getting Things Done, and in it he has this great question, what's the next action needed to move this forward? Right. And so when we're asking that kind of question, we're in this conversation for action, but it could also be things like what's the next step or what's the highest priority right now? Um, could be something like I've heard when you want to break a huge overwhelming goal down, it's useful to remember to eat an elephant only one bite at a time. Right. What one step could we take that would move us forward? And from that, uh, we could move into a conversation for accountability. And here, it might be if, if I've agreed to do something and things aren't going the way I thought that they would, I may need to loop back to you and say, you know, Mar, we agreed to such and such. But I'm realizing it's not happening that way, and I need to make sure that we're both on the same page about where current reality really is. Right. So often people forget to do that, or they don't want to disappoint someone. I can't tell you how many times I've been brought into situations where a, um, an employee just blatantly did not communicate information to a boss because they were afraid of disappointing them, letting them down, not meeting expectations in some way. And so learning to have this conversation for accountability uh, is vital for both bosses as well as employees. Right, because then you might find out somebody needs something else and they're afraid to ask for that something else. That's right. For some other help or some other, uh, you know, or some other issue. I know this happens. I'm, I'm on a team that we put on this big mediation conference every year. And it gets really frustrating because... People commit and then they don't do things. And then, you know, I've had to, uh, you know, call up people and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Haven't heard from you about this. But it is stressful. 
uh, when you're all volunteers for something. You know what I mean? When you have to keep up and, and not everybody's accountable. But that's, you know, that's the way a team is, right? Well, and in really high-performing teams, what happens is people learn how to have each of these conversation types. And they even build agendas for their meetings based on these so that they are on the same page, literally using the same language moving forward. Right, right. Okay, so what what number are we on now? We're on four? or Well, the next conversation type yeah. is a conversation for conflict resolution. Yep, that's that's the one when people don't have clear expectations from the first of them, right? Exactly. <laughs> so often, if people don't have this uh, understanding and know how to work through uh, commitment in the same way, they can get themselves into uh, conflict that uh, isn't... Uh, resolved. And of course, I know that you know all about these yeah, conversations. Yeah. For conflict or, or, you resolution. Know, another thing that I notice, especially the kind of conflict that I see all the time, is where the original agreement or the original framework was was not clear. And so everybody has a different expectation and people misunderstand what their role was or misunderstand what the what the goal was and so that's really you know right from the get-go there has to be really clear communication and mutual understanding of it to check for understanding because as soon as someone says well I thought we were going to do this and the other person says I thought we were going to do this and it's different and that's how the conflict often arises that, that they come to me if they have an agreement and the agreement is so nebulous or so, um, you know, unclear that people have different expectations. Yes. Okay, so let's go back to now the conflict resolution. Well, um, in that uh, type of conversation, we want to make sure that we understand, as you've said, expectations. Um, We want to look at are there places where we might not see things the same way and what's the implication of that? How can we resolve this going forward? Uh, I I love the quote by Marshall Goldsmith that goes something like this. Um, The person who has the power to make the decision makes the decision. Make peace with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so often, uh, particularly in workplace environments and even sometimes in home situations, people aren't clear about who owns the right to make the decision. Right, And then they want to argue, fight, nitpick, whatever about that. And um, so often, right up front, what we need to do as leaders in organizations is be really clear about who owns the decision. Is this a joint decision? Is this a collaborative decision? Or is this a, a, a time and an issue where one person needs to move things forward and make the decision? Let people know that so the expectations are clear. And, you know, what's interesting about that is that depending on the situation in the same organization, there there are times for collaboration and there are times for taking the, the helm that you have to when something has to get done quickly, you know, and, and you don't have time to do this kind of collaboration and everybody, you have to make it really clear. This is not something that we can collaborate on, but we'll co- collaborate on something later. So, so you really define the conversation or you define the objective depending on what needs to be done. And I think when people think that everything has to be collaborative, <laughs> that, that takes a lot of time and things don't get done, you know? Oh, I so agree with you. 
if we're in a crisis, if we're in a challenging situation, if we've got a problem and we're in over our heads, we need decisive decision-making, move us forward, and that's not a collaborative model, and right. that's okay. Yes. It's just a, it's knowing when the collaborative model works best and when it, you have to be the take-charge person. You know, if there's a fire, you know, in, you know, in the building, you don't say, let's collaborate about where we're going to go first. It's like, get out of here now. Everybody just go, you know. That's a great example. <laughs> I agree with you. Yes. Yes. Well, from the uh, conversation for conflict resolution, another type of conversation is a conversation for breakdown. And this is where you might often uh, encounter people in that they have broken down, they don't know how to resolve it, they don't know what to do next, and they're in a stalemate. Right. And this particular type of conversation acknowledges the breakdown. It, it gives people a sense of peace to be able to say, here's where we are currently, and we're going to do what we need to do to move forward with it, but at least we put a stake in the ground that says here's where we are. It's often hard to move forward if we're in a breakdown and we haven't acknowledged it. I've seen people, and I'll bet you have too, who just stay stuck in that for a long period of time. Right. And they need they need to be heard and they need to be understood. And, you know, their perspective needs to be understood and and that's the problem is often in conflict resolution, as I see it, is they've come to me from the court. They really didn't get a chance to be heard yet. And they're angry and they can't let go of the anger until they get that opportunity to be heard by the other side. Yes. Okay. So the next type of conversation is conversation for withdrawal and disengagement. And there are situations where we need to remove ourselves. It may be that we've grown in a new direction and we need to take on a new role or a new opportunity in order to um, honor our growth. Or it may be that we're in a relationship that just doesn't work, for it, that's toxic for some reason. Or we, so, need, we may need to just disengage for a while. You know, right. I mean, there's times in mediation where it gets hot and I go, okay, everybody, go take a break. And when you come back, I've got cookies. You know, I mean, it just has to be disengaged from, from a situation so you can get clarity or you can let the emotion settle down. So it's, it's perfectly legitimate to be able to say, we need to take a break. We need to honor each other. We need Exactly. And this, this could also be a conversation uh, that sets the stage for someone to say, um, I want to take some time off from work. Maybe uh, a new mom who realizes that she needs to disengage for a little while, or um, potentially um, somebody in a relationship who's realizing, I need some time to go do, finish my studies or something like that. Right. Another type of conversation is the conversation for change. And this is one in which we frame out for people a new vision. We have them begin to understand what possible, and we give them a sense for the steps that need to be taken to bring alive this new vision. In organizations, uh, sometimes leaders forget to have that conversation, and they think that people will just automatically know what to do in shifting fans kind of times, and frankly, people don't. They, they need the clarity. And, and sometimes if they're in a team, for example, um, and they need to change, they can work together to change to actually figure out those steps. Because for me, um, as a mediator, 
and they need and there's a need for change um I can guide them to actually create what the change needs to be for themselves. They can, I can guide them to figure out those steps of what the change needs to be. So sometimes you need to tell them and help them. And sometimes you just need to pull it out of them for them to get, buy into that vision, right? Oh, exactly. Sometimes we co-create that vision. And, and that's back to the conversation for creating new possibilities. So it, actually in my book, uh, the book called Conversations for Change, I have a map that shows people the journey map through these conversations and how to build on and then when to sort of step off. It was a little bit like shoots and ladders, that game. Yeah. They say, okay, I might need to go over there to that other type of conversation now and then come back to this one. Um, but the next type of conversation is a conversation for appreciation. So we might say thank you, you know. Mari, I so appreciate the work you do and the impact that you're making in the world by sharing your expertise in the way that you do. Yeah, and and we can appreciate each other, and then they we understand from each other what is um, what is important to the other person too. That's right. Yeah. 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 And then the final one is a conversation for moving on. And this is where we might acknowledge the end of a project or the end of a relationship in a healthy, healing way. So if um, uh, my husband, for example, uh, had worked for Johnson & Johnson for 25 years and was moving on to another organization, and they had a going-away dinner for him. And the whole theme of it was really a conversation for moving on, acknowledging him, the contributions he'd made to the organization. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's um, let's go on with basically a little bit more about the book here, which is reading people. Why is reading people so important? Ah, there's three components to to what I call people reading, and actually the front part of this book is all about how to read people. So the the first part is related to understanding someone's preferred communication style. Some people are more outgoing and extroverted, and they tend to tell and sell their ideas, where some people are more introverted, and they prefer to think things through, and they like to um, take a couple days to mull something over before they make a decision, and they get their energy from uh, being with themselves and and their ideas. And then other people um, are more task-oriented, and they like to have a checklist and move through one task after another, feeling like they're accomplishing things. And then some other folks are more people-oriented. They really want to engage on a personal level. And uh, so I, I break this down in the book, and I show people different communication styles and how to use that information to both create meaningful conversations as well as understand uh, the strengths that come with each style so that you can begin to play to the strengths of the people that you work with. And also it makes people more comfortable. You know, if my style is really outgoing and then I'm with somebody who's very introverted, it might, they might feel like I'm overwhelming them. And so I'm not going to change who I am, but I can, I can maybe think twice about how I'm going to approach them so that they're more comfortable, right? Exactly. Now, we also have to look at people's motivators. So there are six different types of motivators that show up in the workplace. And those have a huge impact on who we get along well with. I I call them the glue in relationship. When we have a similar uh, motivators or value hierarchy, we're going to really click and have natural chemistry. Right. And when we don't, we don't. 
Right. So um, this information can really help us to understand the types of organizations where we will thrive as well as the types of relationships where we will be successful. Yeah. Can you just list those six things for us? Oh, sure, sure. So um, one of the motivator types is the theoretical. And when someone has high theoretical motivators, they want to solve complex problems. They love um, researching, investigating, systematizing, analyzing data, and coming up with ideas on solving problems with that information. The next type is utilitarian. And when someone has a high utilitarian motivator, they want to do things that are practical. They keep score. They might keep score with money or with Weight Watchers points or something like that. But they're going to have a dashboard of data that shows that we're making progress based on what we're doing. Right. Um, the next motivator is a social. Think social worker here when I use that term. It's really about helping other people in meaningful ways. And so... Uh, Think about uh, elementary school teachers or people who are volunteering in a nonprofit organization. They're often doing so because that work rewards their social motivator. Another type is the aesthetic motivator. And when someone has this one, they're very interested in the aesthetics of something. So the harmony, the peace, the, the fit. Um, so people who are in roles like yoga instructor, chef, uh, art, artists in some way, musicians, even people who are interested in um, body work or uh, healing the earth. This is often coming out of this aesthetic motivator. Next is the traditional motivator. And when someone has this one, they want to have a tradition, a system for living within. They might have a book of rules or a procedures manual, a guideline, the Ten Commandments, something that's really motivating and inspiring their action and their system for working and living within. Mm-hmm. And the final one is the individualistic motivator. And this doesn't necessarily mean that the person wants to do things by themselves, but rather they have the inspiration to be willing to step up and lead. They're willing to assert their point. They want to be victorious. They like to be a part of world-class winning kinds of uh, things. And so this particular motivator actually gets played out uh, with the other motivators that are next to it. And each person has their own hierarchy of these motivators. And in the book, I show people how to identify uh, their own motivators and then begin to read someone else's motivators so that they can create conversations that are more meaningful and trigger the right types of collaboration. Yeah, Sean, and to be able to read them, they have to really deeply listen. And you have a whole chapter on deep listening. We have about two minutes left. Can you? I know that we could talk about listening forever, but maybe if you could just give an overview about what you mean by deep listening and what it means to be a great listener. Oh, sure. Deep listening is when something is complex or perhaps there's some conflict in, in the issue, uh, when we want to demonstrate that we are taking someone or situation very seriously, we want to use the deep listening steps. And so the first step in deep listening is managing your own body language, really demonstrating visually that you are listening. So it's having great eye contact. It's having your body language be open and receptive. It's being quiet. It's allowing pauses. That's step one. Step two 
is to summarize what you've heard the other person say. And we do this by literally putting a, a phrase in it. I, I want to I make sure I've gotten what you said. Let me, let me capture it. Yeah. Or I might say something along the lines of, I'd like to take a moment here and just repeat back to you what I've heard said so that I make sure I'm really getting the gist of it. Right. And the reason it's so important to say that is because if you don't, the person may think you're challenging them on as you're repeating back or, or uh, putting into your own words what you've heard said. Right, and we want to make sure that they understand that we are we, we care to hear them. But you know what? I love to hear you, but we are out of time. So I think people are just going to have to get your book. So please give your book's name again and your website, and we will talk to you again, Sean. Oh, wonderful. My book is titled Conversations That Get Results and Inspire collaboration. My website is www.yourtalentatwork.com. And on my homepage, you can sign up for a monthly newsletter that is focused on conversation tips. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sean Kent Hayashi. You're terrific. And we will have you back again. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 right here on KUCI. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about your concerns about healing conflict. It's about trust. Expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.